God, we come to you this morning. We sing that with such excitement and such uh, confidence. But the only confidence we have, God, in the fact that it is well with our soul is because you and you alone have provided your grace and mercy in our lives. And so, God, we are so grateful and indebted to you. And it brings us to our knees in worship and honor of you. God, this morning, help us to see that it is only not, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name, all glory is deserved. And we bring that this morning. God, we pray for David as he comes to lead us in your word. God, we come to the table hungry. We come wanting to know what you have for us. And so, God, would you open our hearts now? Would you pour out your spirit? And would you give David the words that you want us to hear this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I am David. I am not the normal guy. Uh, the normal guy is in Zambia. It just landed a little bit ago. Uh, and uh, Morgan's taking this week off because he's got the next couple weeks as well. Uh, my name's David. I get to serve college students at Coastal Carolina University and uh, or Georgetown and also be a member of this church. This fall will be 10 years uh, serving college students here. And I just want to thank you, this church, for believing that college students matter. Uh, and so I serve uh, Baptist Collegiate Ministries. Some of you guys have no idea what that is, but that is basically a group of churches like ourselves belong to the South Carolina Baptist Convention, believe that college students matter, and a portion of the gifts you give go to the cooperative program, and they employ a missionary on the college campus, our public universities, to serve college students with the gospel. And so that's me. Uh, and so I uh, serve college students there and just excited about what God is doing. This year, God has uh, done tremendous things in the lives of students. And that's because you guys believe that God wants to do it and God partners with us and he does it. Uh, and so this year we saw students turn from idols that were dead and they're serving the Lord. They are alive, made alive in Jesus Christ. We saw students come to faith this year. Uh, we have seen students give their lives to missions this fall, we'll have two recent graduates uh, launch out to the International Mission Board and serve two-year program through Journeyman. Uh, both will be in Africa in different places. Uh, we have a student right now who's in Provo, Utah, uh, the heart of LDS community, serving students at uh, Brigham Young University and partnering with a local church there, giving eight weeks of his summer uh, there. And we also have three students who are about to launch out to go to France this summer uh, and serve uh, missionaries there through the International Mission Board as well. So God is at work students are saying yes uh, and it's all because you guys believe and so thank you so much for that and thank you for those prayers uh, I would ask that you would pray for me as well uh, I fly out today uh, this evening to Philadelphia uh, I do not have to go on I-95 where the bridge collapsed thankfully uh, but I'm serving students at Eastern University uh, and so I get to do what Louise just did except for I will be preaching 10 sermons over the next five days uh, in Philadelphia so you can pray for my throat but also pray for yourself because today if you hear like something that doesn't make sense it might be because it's from one of those other sermons that's been prepped over the week and I just might pop out so if it's like I have no idea where David's going that's probably what's happening right so just give me grace uh, with that as well uh, but this morning uh, we are going to continue in the Psalms 
uh, Psalm 115 that has been read. Uh, and the Psalms are beautiful, artistic. Uh, each one is somewhat uniquely different depending on the Psalm writer and what's being tried to communicate. And this morning, I want you to kind of just be an artist with me. I have appreciation for artists uh, in this regard. I want you to think of it as he's taking us on this picture journey to show us something important and then to leave that impression in our mind and then remind us of that as we continue on. Uh, And some psalms are uh, structured in such a way as to actually point to this. And you can't always see it in the English, but in the, in the original languages, you can see it a little easier. But there's a structure called a chiasm, and, and this psalm specifically has it where it, it kind of points to a middle. Uh, and so if you think about it this way, think about going up a mountain, right? And the mountain peak is the point. It is the underlying thing of what the psalmist is trying to tell us. But on the way up, he's showing us things, making points to, to get to the top, and then also reminding us on the way back down. I love to travel. Uh, Travel's always been a big part of my life since I was a little kid. Uh, And one of my favorite places in the world is in Glacier National Park in northern Montana. Uh, There is one road to get from east to west and west to east, and it's called Going to the Sun Road. And it literally traverses the Continental Divide. It's called the Logan Pass, and it hugs the side of a mountain. And it literally is called Going to the Sun Road because it was named after Going to the Sun Mountain, where somebody looked at this mountain and said, it looks like if you climb that mountain, you would go to the sun. And the road is intentionally built into the side of the mountain range, really, really tight. In fact, if you're going and you're, if you'd gone, um, going from east to west is a little better because you're on the inside of the mountain, right? Right, like you're right next to the mountain. If you go from west to east, you're on the outside, looking over to this massive drop-off ravine. But the road was intentionally built as to not draw attention to the road itself, but to draw attention to the journey and where you're going. And this morning, I want you to think about our psalm in a very, very similar way, that we're, we're going and we're at the beginning and we're seeing this beautiful picture. The Rockies are before us. There's a lake. And everything's there. We're going to get the picture, but we're actually going to go up and come back down. And in the process, you're going to see what God has for you. Now, my job this morning is to be the driver. Uh, Not everyone gets to drive, so I'm inviting you on the bus to be the driver today. So my job is this, to stay focused, right? to point out landmarks, but to get you along the journey. Your job is to observe, pay attention, remember, and take snapshots of what you see and figure out how God is calling you to apply it. Now, what a shame it would be if you were to go there literally with me and we were to go to the spot where you want to go. And at the first moment, we have the opportunity to go out and take this famous picture. Suddenly you're like, "Uh, I'm just going to take this phone call and not pay attention to what God's doing. Or maybe as we're driving up the mountain, you're just kind of playing on your phone, being distracted, or maybe watching a movie, doing a Sudoku or some other thing, crossword puzzle. And the entire journey, all you're worried about is, man, this road's curvy. I'm getting car sick. And you're missing out on the whole thing. Don't miss out this morning because of distractions. Focus in on what God has for us. And I think, I think we'll see that it's amazing. The view is amazing. The takeaways are amazing. And you'll forever remember what we've just been through. The author starts, the psalmist starts in the first three verses and tells us, first and foremost, that in our lives, we are to pursue the glory of God above all. He starts the psalm not to us, 
O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He says, not to us, not to us, but to your name. It should be our prayer, right? This should be what we want. If we follow Jesus, if we follow God, we recognize that he is God and we are not. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. But do you notice that the psalmist actually says not to us twice? Because we're tempted to get the praise. Like we, we love it twice as much than we really love giving it to God. He says not to us. It should be our prayer. It's a a rejection of self. It's super hard. We we love being praised. We like being king. We don't like to submit to authority or anything else. We want to be in charge. This world preaches self and self-image and self-discovery and self blah, 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 all the way down. It's all about self. And here the, the, the psalmist is saying, no, no, no. Self dishonors God. I know the temptation is you, but it's about God and his glory. The temptation for all of us is, hey, let's place me at the center. This is exactly what happened at the beginning of Genesis, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden, and suddenly there's a temptation to place me at the center, which leads to the fall. And the temptation has continued on for all of us, but the psalmist is rejecting that this morning, not to us, Not to us, but to your name, but to God. You are the one who deserves glory. Worship is not about us. Worship is not about the way it makes us feel or what it brings us or what is accomplished through us. Worship is about God. He says, to your name. All throughout scripture, we see God revealed through his name and what people call him. And and ultimately, a name for God shows his characteristics, and it's a way to describe who he is. And we see this throughout Scripture. We don't have time to go through all of them, but just even here we see through your name, Lord, is Yahweh. It's it's God revealing himself. It's the name he revealed himself to when he revealed himself to, to Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am. I will be that I will be. I exist as Lord. But also in the Psalms, we see other things, that he is the, the one who heals, Yahweh Rapha, that he is the healing God, that he is the one who provides healing for our souls. And then we also see that he is El Shaddai, that he is God Almighty, that he has all power. And all the names of God kind of point to these different things. And so what the psalmist is saying is not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. In all of these ways that you are, and all these magnificent attributes and characteristics, God, we praise your name. And the psalmist is is doing this as a way of drawing our attention to the fact that this is the way that we're to live, that we're to pursue the glory of God. That no matter where we live, no matter what we do, no matter what, how we act, we are to pursue the glory of God because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Because he is steadfast. I mean, he remains constant in his love. That we don't ever have to wonder, does God love us? There should be never a moment in our lives where we're wondering, how does God feel about me in this moment? Because it has been decided, right? That God so declared his love for us that he sent Jesus, when we were enemies of God, to be our substitute and our sacrifice to make us righteous. That he demonstrated his love for us, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's love is steadfast, that he is patient, he is kind, and he demonstrates love over and over and over, that it is unending and loyal. And even so much so that it is covenantal, that he promises it, that if he makes a promise, it cannot be broken, for if he broke a promise, he would cease to be God. 
So we get to count on his love and so that we give him glory, not ourselves. And then his faithfulness in the same way, it speaks to the truth of God, the reliability, the fact that he is to be relied upon in all situations, that he never fails. That not only does he make promises, but he keeps those promises and that we can trust him, that he, we can count on those things. Psalmist opens up with a bang, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. That's all in verse one. And then in verse 2, it says this rhetorical question almost in response to that. We're giving praise to God. We're giving him glory. But the world around us may be asking this question. Where is their God? It says, why should the nation say, where is their God? It's this context of the world looking at believers and saying, you say you trust in this God. You say you follow this God. But he's not acting at like what I think he should be doing. Your circumstances aren't exactly glorious at all times. Or, or maybe things, some things, bad things happen because of the consequences of sin in our lives or the other people's sin. Different things happen. And so the world sometimes just speaks this thing and we're tempted to listen. Where is God? Like if God is really who he is, if he really loves me, should I be in this situation? If God really loves me and can be counted on, why are bad things happening to me? If God is who he says he is and he can be counted on, what is he really in charge? And the world is asking this, but the psalmist basically gives it no credence whatsoever. Immediately he responds with this answer. Without wasting breath, he says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Perhaps you're this morning asking, wondering where God is. Maybe your, your circumstances are wondering, man, should I be listening to what the world is saying? And the psalmist immediately says, no, 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 no. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. It's a response to the sense of that he is reigning. God is in the heavens reigning above this earth, that he's in charge. There's never a moment of time, past, present, or future that he's not in control of. That he rules and reigns. That he is over the heavens. Even as far as we can see as we look up into the sky, he rules over everything. He's omnipotent. He says that he does all that he pleases. He has the power to do anything, to act in any instantaneous moment, and that he has all authority. And then he says that he is wise and good, but he says he does what pleases him. That God is good. We can trust him. He's reliable. If his love can be counted on and he's faithful, then he is good and we can trust this God. And so as we start the journey, what the psalmist is saying is saying, no matter where you're at, if you have questions, don't have questions, you're a follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, no matter where you're at, the point is this, is that we should orient our lives in such a way that we're pursuing the glory of God in all things, in our recreation, in our families, in our jobs, in all things, no matter where or what or when we pursue the glory of God. And then he goes on. Point two is picks up in verses four through eight. He says this, that we are to experience that God is what idols are not. That we're to experience that God is what idols are not. That we're actually to partake in this journey, which is why I've invited you on. That we are going up, but we're to experience the goodness of God. This is what he says. They're speaking of the nations. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. 
They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Look at what it says about that. It says there's silver and gold that they're made, yet they have their functions don't function. In fact, if we were to look at these things, and this was a person, and they said they have a mouth, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. If we just listed this, we'd say, there's some things that need to be addressed. Right? Or does this thing even have life if this is what we're saying about it? And yet, this is what the idols of the world look like. They're impotent. They don't work. Nothing, nothing functions. They're mute. They're blind. They're deaf. And the, the psalmist is contrasting this with God. Think about this. God, he made everything. The people who made the idols, yeah, God made them. Right? He is in heaven ruling over the heavens. He does all that he pleases. These idols are made on earth. He has authority over all. He does whatever he wants. The psalmist says they can do nothing. He sees, he hears, he answers us. They do none of those things. Here the psalmist is saying you have these idols which the world is telling you, hey, turn your attention to these things. These things will fix all of your problems. These things deserve your glory. These things deserve your praise. And God is over here saying, I'm right here because they have nothing to offer. Idolatry makes no sense. Men end up worshiping things that are below them and they become lowly themselves. Listen to what it says at the end. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. The crazy thing about idolatry is it's connected to our worship. What we trust, we end up worshiping and it ultimately changes us into something else. This is a a scripture, uh, a concept in scripture that's all throughout Scripture, we see it. And on the flip side, uh, let's go for this side. So in 2 Corinthians, it speaks about uh, this passage Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, trying to tell them how we are to live in a world, right, and this craziness of this world. And he brings up a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that I think is really helpful to this, this concept. What he does basically is he points back to Moses in the Old Testament and talks about how Moses' face, uh, when he met with God, Moses' face would light up. And it, when Moses came down the mountain to talk to the people, the people were kind of like scared at first because they had a phys- there was a physical change in the fact that Moses had been with God. Right? Fast forward to it's a whole other sermon, not going there, right? So fast forward to this part. And the idea is this, is that Moses, right, only, well, only Moses had the access. Now it says, we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. This is from the Lord. And so what, the, what Paul's writing is saying, look, we act like a mirror, are looking at God. And if we behold the glory of God, that he transforms us into more of his image. You see, in Genesis, it says that we were created in the image of God, that we are to be image bearers of this God. And it's not just about us bringing him worship. As we worship, we are changed more into his image than to bear that image to other people. The same is true of idols. If you worship and bow down before idols, you become like the very thing you worship. It says in Romans, Paul writes in Romans, that the people exchanged the glory of God for worthless things, and then themselves became worthless. They became less than human. 
So let's, let's play this out just real quick. Let's, let's see if this is true. So if, if you ultimately uh, trust in yourself and make yourself an idol, you'll want to be around people that are just like you because you don't have time for anyone else. Or, or maybe it's money that you worship, right? Uh, maybe money becomes your idol and you say, uh, well, guess what? We know people that worship money because they're greedy, they're transactional, and they're making decisions that are always financially based. Or, or maybe it's uh, security in the sense of, you know, if I just had $40,000 or $50,000 or $60,000 or $70,000, guess what? The next person just wants 80 or 90 or 100. Like, it's a constant battle. Or maybe you worship sex. This whole world seems to revolve around this idea of selling sex. And it's this idea you become lustful if sex is your idol. Everything is about you getting pleased by whatever's out there. Or maybe it's power. Maybe power's your idol, and you'll do everything at the altar of power. And you cover your weakness. You admit that nothing, that nothing is wrong with you. You refuse confrontation because you have to look like you're in charge. Or maybe it's sports or fitness, or the list goes on and on and on. And you guys see that as we give our attention to these idols, not in the sense of these things aren't bad things. But as we lay down our lives to these things to give us what they cannot give, suddenly our life gets transformed into what it's not supposed to look like. And so we have to come to this experience that experiencing God is what idols are not. You see, sometimes we just go with whatever we feel like. Oh, whatever makes you feel good or whatever this in the sense is, is when you become that, suddenly you get blown down the street like a leaf getting trampled on, crushed, and you're wondering, how did I get here, and how do I get back? And God stands and waits and says, trust in me, focus on me, pursue me. These idols will leave you nothing but heartbreak. So are you experiencing that that God is better? Are you finding fulfillment in God, or are you looking for that somewhere else? Where, Where do you find your identity? What are the things that consume your heart and your mind and your thoughts? Because they will give us a good idea of maybe what are some of our idols are. So quit giving glory to idols and experience that God is better. Third this morning, and which is really the central point of the text, I think, starts in verse 9. And it kind of repeats three things and points us specifically, undergirds this whole thing. So we're at the top of the mountain looking out. And this is what God wants you to remember. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Three times he says, trust in the Lord. Three different groups of people, trust in the Lord. He is their help and our shield. He is the one who helps us. He is the one who shields her. There is not a single person who does not need to trust in the Lord. And I know that can sound like just like this overarching big concept, right? Like, oh, just trust God, right? Leave all the details to him. But the reality is, listen, what he's saying is this. Some of us are willing to trust God with salvation issues, but not trust God in our finances. Some of us say, God, I need you to save me, but I'm going to figure out how to live this life on my own. God, I need you to rescue me because I'm lifeless and dead, but I am going to treat the people how I want to treat them because it gets me where I want to go. The psalm is saying, no, 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 trust in the Lord. Trust is an act of worship. 
Do you know there's a difference between uh, seeing someone as trustworthy or something as trustworthy and fully trusting that? I went on a mission trip to Denver uh, about a month ago and took some students. I'd been there in March, and there's this park, this incredible, crazy park. It's like the most unsafe park I've ever seen in my life. And it's like, as a parent, you're like, I don't know if I'd let my kids, but yes, they need to. Like, we need to let let them do some crazy things every once in a while. Safe, of course, but maybe. Uh, Anyway, so there's this cement slide. Like, it's a cement slide. You're like, that's kind of weird, right? They actually had to resurface it multiple times because it was too fast. Like, it was launching kids, like, 10 to 15 yards off the slide. Like, I mean, it's like just shooting them off. So they resurface it. Well, if you sit down correctly, it, I'm, Let's just say I'm 200. Let's be nice, right? Father's Day. So, like, it would launch me off the thing. I've done it, all right? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm telling the students, hey, you've got to do this slide. They're like, all right, we're going to do it. And so I was telling them how to get through it and how to stand up and not, like, crash or whatever. And they, I was like, you can trust me that you're going to be okay. There's a difference between me saying that to them and then me demonstrating trust before them, Right? There's a big difference, and the reality is a lot of us saying, yeah, God's trustworthy. You should trust him. Like, he he can help you versus us demonstrating what it looks like to trust God day to day for people. And I think what ultimately we need to see is that worship, if we want to worship God, it's not just about Sunday morning. It's about day by day trusting God that he is who he says he is and that he's better than the idols, that he's better than what the world offers, that he is faithful. This, the help and the shield goes back to the beginning of the psalm where the people are saying, hey, hey, your circumstances look kind of weird. Where is your God? And we can confidently say, he is my help. That I don't have to do things out of order because God is in control. Yeah, he's called me to walk. He's called me to follow. He's called me into action. But ultimately, he's the one fighting. You see, if we are followers of Jesus this morning, it says in Scripture that Jesus has won the victory. That he has defeated sin and Satan and death and he's overcome and that he has assured victory even though we don't fully see it yet right now. And so when we walk with Jesus, we are fighting from a position of victory. We're not in this cosmic duel trying to obtain victory. So Jesus is our help. He is the one fighting. He is the one sustaining. He is the one leading. And so we walk with Jesus. And so when the world says, where's Jesus? Where's your God? Where's things going? We say, he is my help. And when he needs to show up, I'm confident he will. And the shield goes to this idea, too, that we don't have to fight back when people are throwing arrows or worry about attacks from the enemy, that God has shielded us. It says that we are shielded under the shadow of his wings. And so we trust in these things, that he is trustworthy. So what does it mean to trust in God? We see it in the New, Old Te- in the, excuse me, in the New Testament. In Hebrews, it speaks about people in the Old Testament who did this, right? And we, we call it the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11. And it goes through different people from Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses. and they, All these people, what they did, the certain decisions that they made where they demonstrated faith. The circumstances around them didn't necessarily like merit like them to do this trust, but they heard from God and they obeyed. You see, obedience goes with trust. We obey what God tells us to do. Like Noah building an ark in the middle of dry, like what? A, but he trusted God in His word, and he's rewarded for it. We see Abraham the same thing, except for we also see an example where Abraham did not trust. 
You see, Abraham was promised uh, an offspring with Sarah, right? And said, God, God said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the father of many nations and in due time things will happen. And Abraham said, this is fantastic. I don't know how we trust this, but we're going to trust you and all these things until they didn't. Right? Sarah got kind of tired of waiting, was like, I want a baby. I don't know how this is going to go. We, maybe we need to help God out. And so Sarah comes up with this plan, goes to Abraham and says, hey, why don't you sleep with Hagar and then we'll, God, we'll help God fulfill his own promise this way. If you're not familiar with the story, you're probably already like, that doesn't make any sense. Yet that's exactly what they did. Problems started almost immediately. Right? Hagar gets gets pregnant, Sarah gets jealous, there's strife, there's things. Hagar ends up going away, bearing a son named Ishmael, right? And while Abraham has Isaac and the descendants of Isaac are numerous, Ishmael basically becomes a thorn in the side of the world. And the descendants of Ishmael continue on and on and on. And ultimately, you can trace it even today that Muslims would say that Muhammad comes from the line of Ishmael. So an entire religion that teaches false ideology, that worships a false god, is the result of somebody not trusting God in their timing. What about you? Do you trust God in his timing? I remember hearing this story of when I was a college student at the University of Georgia, go dogs, and uh, I remember hearing the pastor preach a story. I didn't go to the Wednesday night service thinking, man, I'm super spiritual, ready for this moment. I just remember him speaking this. I had my eye on a girl, and I was like, man, afterwards, maybe we'll go get ice cream or something. Like, and I was going to ask her out, and things were going to progress. It was going to be like this entire plan laid out. And he preached this message on, are you willing to wait on God's timing, even if it's not your timing? And he shared this story about Abraham and, and Sarah and Hagar, and I was like, yeah, that's good. And then it was like, I don't know what happened, but I walked out of there with this idea of six months is a long time. And I really sensed that God was telling me, don't, don't pursue this girl for six months. I'm like, that's ridiculous, right? Like, what are we doing? But it was this sense of, okay, God, I'm going to trust. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I could pursue you for the next six months and things would be great. So ultimately, I obeyed. And things started happening, and I was like getting closer, and my calendar's marking off, things are happening, right? We're getting closer to the date. And within the week of when the date was six months was going to be over, she got asked out by this dude. And I was like, God, this better be the worst date for them, you know? It wasn't. It was a really good date. And she was one of my friends. And so we celebrated everything, like the friend group celebrated. She ended up getting married to this guy. And having kids, they live in Atlanta, in ministry. And I ended up pursuing God in other ways over the next several years and having the freedom to go to seminary and move out to Texas and ultimately meet my wife, who's amazing. And I don't know, and I can't tell you for a fact, A led to B, to led to C, and if A went to C, and it wouldn't have happened, but I do know this. Obedience is always better than disobedience. And God's timing is always better than my timing. Right? And not only just for what my life looks like, but for the people around me. And so I trust in his time, even if I'm in the midst of the storm, even if I'm in the midst of the circumstances and things are caving in, he is my help and my shield. I will trust in him, not what the world offers. And so I think this morning the psalmist is pointing it to us saying, hey, listen, trust in God. Trust in the Lord in all things. And I just think it's funny. We can trust him. When we need a savior, when we need our sin paid for. But man, it's hard to trust him in the day-to-day, -day, in the moment by moment. 
How do I raise my kids? How do I decide to move to where I'm going to move to to pursue a job? Is it, is it what the world financial offers or is it what God's leading me to? And so we trust him day by day, moment by moment. And this psalmist continues on. And as we head back down, remember, these are not new points. These are kind of pointing back to the points we've already had. And next in verses 12 through 15, I believe, ties back to this idea of idols and God, that we are to experience God for what idols are not. This is what it says in verse 12. It says, the Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. See, idols are impotent. They have no power. They are worthless. They cannot bless. And here it says that God blesses. It's holding these things up and saying, if you go to the well of idols, you will not be blessed. If you go to the well of idols, you will not be taken care of. Only in God. And his past is a good indicator of how he'll act in the future. He has remembered us. He will bless us. Do you see that? Verse 12. He's remembered us. There's never been a moment where God has left us or forsaken us or forgot us. And the psalmist is saying, if that's true, you can count on him to bless you in the future. Four times he says, he will bless us. What, what blessings? Well, first of all, Ephesians, Paul writes that we have every spiritual blessing that we need. Right? That we've been adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus. That Jesus came to pay the price of our sin that we could not pay. He lived the perfect life. That he died on the cross. was a substitution for our sin. That he who knew no sin became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's a credible blessing that we need. Right? That we have access to God. That he is making us into a royal priesthood. That we have access to the Father where we can in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Like it says, we can go before the glory of God because there's no veil. There's nothing separating us. We have access to God. That we get to meet with God, commune with God, be changed by God because of the blood of Jesus. We have a perfect Father in heaven that even though maybe our fathers on this earth sometimes are not good representations of who God is. God is perfect. He is reliable. His love is constant. We have this blessing. But not only that, every good thing we have here on earth is a blessing from God. The clothes we wear, the house we live in, the cars we drive, everything comes from this great God. He will bless us. You want future blessing? Trust in the Lord. And as you experience this, we trust more because we see his faithfulness continually poured out. As we continually turn from idols and turn to God, it's this pattern that reinforces itself where we get to see that God is what idols are not. And this psalmist is telling us, smash your idols, turn to God, and worship him. And then as we get back down to the bottom of the mountain, in verse, uh, verse 16, this is what it says. It says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. They de the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. He's telling us again to pursue the glory of God above all. That our lives are to be so oriented that in trusting God, we're pursuing his glory. And in pursuing his glory, it helps us to trust God. And in doing that, we're showing that to the world around us. That we will seek to glorify him in everything we do. And then he says it's not the dead that praise God. 
It's a sense of like that we have been, as believers, that we were dead in our sins, but we have been made alive. Like, that we are able to praise because we've been given life. But those around us are like walking zombies after the idols of this world going straight into destruction. You've seen these people, and you're tempted to join in that crowd sometimes, but literally their arms are up, their eyes are focused, and they're just marching head after something, thinking that it's going to give them satisfaction. And we're over here wondering, God, are you there? Should I trust you, or do I just go get in line this way? And the psalmist reminds us, no, 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 trust God. In his timing and in his way, he will bless you. He says, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The reality is we'll either worship God or worship idols. We'll either turn to God or turn to idols. That we have the opportunity to be transformed by whatever we worship. And this morning, my prayer, and I hope your prayer, is Psalm 115.1, right? Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name be glory. That everything we do in this life becomes about giving him praise and giving him honor. And the beautiful thing that it is, is as we behold the glory of the Lord in a mirror, we start to replicate that and transform that and become objects of praise for God to everyone out there. Maybe there's people in your life that need to see you trust this week. They need to see you spend time with God, be transformed by God, and demonstrate what it looks like to trust God. That's your act of worship. So what do you need to trust God in? Maybe today it's, you don't know Jesus, and you need to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he paid the price for your sin, and that God offers reconciliation through Jesus. For many of us in this room, we have a relationship with Jesus, but maybe it's just these moment-by-moment -moment decisions where we just need to trust that God is who he says he is. Trust him in our finances. Trust him in our decision-making. Trust him in our leadership. Trust him in our, our fatherhood or motherhood. Trust him in everything he says in this word as an act of worship. This morning, will you worship with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and for your goodness. God, I pray that for everyone seated here, that we would not be the silly ones that miss out on the glory of God because we're captivated by idols. God, I pray that we would begin to take on the representation of Jesus to this world that desperately needs to see it, to a world who's questioning who you are, and they need to see it demonstrated through our trusting you and living out a life of worship. And so as the psalm writer writes, God, I pray for all of us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And as we sing, may it simply be an overflow of our hearts and our minds proclaiming truths that you are faithful and trustworthy. In Jesus' name we pray.